You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Rasputin, no, not that one, the hacker, is trying to sell admin credentials for the U.S. Election Assistance Commission on the black market. U.S. investigation of Russian influence operations continues with promises of eventual retaliation. Nose-thumbing from Moscow received in response. U.K. and E.U. officials worry about Russian meddling with 2017 elections. The Yahoo breach sinks in, and some call it the Exxon Valdez of cyberspace. There are new ransomware strains in a growing ransomware sector, but help in the form of an international public-private partnership. And we're closer to seeing robot drivers on the streets. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire Summary and Week in Review for Friday, December 16, 2016. Election hacking and election influence operations, which may be connected but aren't necessarily the same thing, remain very much in the news. Security company Recorded Future reports that it's found a Russian-speaking hacker, they're calling him Rasputin, who's selling what he claims is access to compromised U.S. Election Assistant Commission networks. Recorded Future observed chatter that suggested credentials to Election Assistance Commission or EAC networks were for sale. Further investigation enabled them to identify the vendor as a Russian speaker who was negotiating with an unknown buyer working on behalf of an unspecified Middle Eastern government. Approximately 100 sets of account credentials were for sale, some of them apparently representing privileged administrative accounts. Such accounts could be useful for a variety of purposes. They could be used, for example, as Recorded Future points out, to install malware and establish a watering hole on a U.S. government site. Rasputin, who's been knocking around black markets for some time, is in Recorded Future's view probably a crook and not an agent of an espionage service. Over the past two years, he's been connected with financial services compromise in the Middle East, compromise of a Chinese e-tailer, and of course now with the attempted sale of EAC credentials. The U.S. Election Assistance Commission is not a well-known agency, so some background information may be useful. The EAC is a small, independent federal agency created by the Help America Vote Act of 2002. It supports the conduct of elections through a variety of largely voluntary and advisory services, testing and certifying voting equipment, maintaining the National Voter Registration Form, but not any database of voters, administering a national clearinghouse on elections to receive complaints of alleged fraud and so on, and promoting development of shared practices and other ways of improving elections. Thus, compromise of the EAC doesn't represent any real threat to the integrity of U.S. elections, but it's an embarrassment, another black eye for a way of voting that's taken more than its share of punches over the past year. TechCrunch and others have noted that the EAC published an op-ed in the Washington Post on October 18th with a reassuring headline, Don't Believe the Hype, Foreign Hackers Will Not Choose the Next President. 
It seems likely that Rasputin was rooting around in their systems, even as they wrote. The U.S. continues investigating more official Russian influence operations mounted during the recently concluded election cycle. Officials murmur about President Putin's direct involvement, which Mr. Putin dismisses as funny nonsense. In an NPR interview yesterday, President Obama promised unspecified retaliation against Russian information operations, quote, at a time and a place of our own choosing, end quote, to which the Kremlin said, in essence, put up or shut up. NBC News reports that the administration didn't take action before the election because, first, it didn't want to appear itself to be meddling improperly in the election, second, it didn't want to escalate cyber conflict with Russia, and finally, it thought Democratic candidate Clinton was going to win anyway, so they could, as one unnamed source put it, kick the can down the road. The U.S. intelligence community has blogged at its IC on the Record site, that it doesn't intend to make anything else public until it's completed its investigation and until it's satisfied that what it has to say won't compromise intelligence sources and methods. British and European officials are expressing concern about similar Russian meddling in their own upcoming elections. The prospect of what ThreatConnect calls fake-divism, false flags and covert information operations, is particularly troubling to them. The magnitude of the Yahoo breach continues to sink in, and security industry observers expressed displeasure over both weak crypto practices and slow breach disclosure. The company's stock price has seen sharp declines as investors lose confidence that Verizon's acquisition of Yahoo's core assets will actually go through. Chris Pogue, CISO at security intelligence firm Nuix, offered us representative reaction. Wow, he said, how many times have I said that data breaches are almost always worse than initially thought? A lot. If Verizon was going to purchase Yahoo for its intellectual property and brand reputation, both of which are pretty much shot at this point, my money is on Verizon walking away after this. Netscope has discovered new variants of locky ransomware circulating in the wild. Malwarebytes has published more information on GoldenEye, which is a rebranded strain of Petya Misha ransomware. This criminal sector continues to grow. An IBM security study released this week says that ransomware operators are expected to net a billion dollars from extortion in 2016, up from a relatively paltry $24 million in 2015. So it's worth remembering that regular, secure backup is always a sound practice. There's some compensating good news on the ransomware front. The international public-private partnership No More Ransomware has added new partners and expanded free services for ransomware victims. Bravo to all the partners in this effort. Too many for us to list here, but all deserving a pat on the back. In industry news, well-known security executive Amit Yaran is stepping down as president of Dell's RSA unit. He's moving to Tenable Network Security, where he'll serve as CEO. Finally, autonomous cars take a few more steps closer to hitting the asphalt. GM announces that it's going to begin building and testing self-driving vehicles at the Michigan facility where it currently produces the Chevy Bolt. And Uber has begun operating a few robotic vehicles on California streets. They have human operators on board ready to take over if necessary, but the state of California says the vehicles are in violation of state regulations. How this will play out is to be decided, no doubt, in the courts. Such things usually are. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. 
Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. Joining me once again is Marcus Roschecker. He's the Cybersecurity Program Manager at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Marcus, uh, the National Cyber Incident Response Plan uh, recently went through a public comment period. Uh, this is a plan that uh, has really been um, ripe for some updates. Uh, what's, what's the latest with it and where can we expect it to go? Yeah, the National Incident Cyber Response Plan has come out of the Presidential Policy Directive 41 that came out in July 2016. Basically, um, the Department of Homeland Security, in conjunction with the Federal Emergency Management Agency, has taken a lead in developing this National Incident Cyber Response Plan, which is going to basically outline how the federal government uh, would respond to a cyber incident uh, in this country. DHS and FEMA have been working with other federal government agencies like the Department of Justice or Department of Defense, as well as representatives from state and local governments. And they're getting a lot of involvement from the private sector as well, critical infrastructure owners and operators, for example. So it's really a multi-stakeholder effort that's underway here to update the National Incident Cyber Response Plan to really outline how the government is going to respond. Now, Marcus, um, FEMA is taking a lead role in this effort. I think a lot of people would be surprised. Uh, don't really think of FEMA as being a, a cyber agency. It might be surprising to hear that FEMA is a lead agency in developing the cyber plan. But um, when you take a step back and you, you see that the National Cyber Incident Response Plan actually will fall under the National Preparedness System, which is the national system for dealing with any kind of threats or hazard. It, it outlines how we prevent as a country, how we prevent and protect against threats, how we mitigate against them, how we respond to them, and how we recover. So it's this overarching framework that we have here, this national preparedness system. And FEMA, of course, is a big part of that. So I don't think it's too surprising to now see that FEMA is involved in developing this national cyber incident response plan, when that cyber incident response plan really is just a subset of this larger national preparedness system. All right, Marcus Rosschecker, thanks for joining us.
My guest today is Jacob Ginsberg. He's the senior director of products at EchoWorks, a provider of email encryption solutions and managed encryption services. With a new president headed to the White House in the U.S., we wonder what the transition could mean for the encryption debate and how encryption affects our daily lives when it comes to protecting our privacy and our valuables in an increasingly connected world. Obviously, things are uh, a little bit up in the air right now, uh, at least in the U.S., with uh, you know the change of, of office happening right now in the executive branch. But on the whole, internationally, um, it looks like we might be at the beginning of a bit of a downswing, uh, if you ask me, or at least from my perspective, uh, certainly not from the law enforcement's perspective. What do you mean by a downswing? Uh, from the perspective of uh, myself, coming from the perspective of, of kind of a, a more privacy conscious uh, a citizen, uh, I would say that, that a lot of the uh, protections that, uh, that are in place are, are in the process of, of, of being eroded. And how, how is that happening? Uh, it's happening uh, again. It's it's easy to to speak globally for a second, and and then we can shift to the U.S. Because the most recent example, I would say, comes out of the U.K. with the investigatory power bill, which is is not necessarily specific to encryption, uh, or at least the, the whole of it, uh, but more with regard to to privacy. You know, it mandates record collecting by ISPs, uh, and and uh, removes the barrier of requiring a warrant to get at that information. Uh, and then there's also, you know, little pieces in there about uh, encryption. And, and as you know, talk seems to spring up uh, whenever it can, whether it be in Canada or in the U.S. also about, you know, the government wanting to put in back doors and mandating access and things like that. Uh, those calls seem to be increasing in both volume and frequency. Is it mutually exclusive? I mean, can you have strong end-to-end encryption but also have, you know, some sort of backdoor access for law enforcement? Uh, I, I would say yes, they are. They're absolutely uh, mutually exclusive. Um, you know, there's a couple of catchphrases that uh, that are thrown around. One of them is, you know, today's backdoors, tomorrow's vulnerability. Um, that that that's something that's generally well accepted in the security industry. That uh, th- there's little to no guarantee if if a backdoor or a mechanism for access is put in place uh, that it won't be exploited down the road by by someone else. There, that there's always that very real risk. And, and what's your response? I mean, we hear from from law enforcement who say that you know they have they have real needs to get at, to be able to get at some of this data. Um, you know, some some of them are are um, uh, really tug at your heartstrings. You know, trying to solve murders of people and 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 so forth. Uh, how do you respond to those kinds of stories? Right. Well, first off, let, let me just say that, uh, you know, I, at no point do I ever I, I don't blame kind of law enforcement or people in the intelligence community for, for wanting some of these tools like backdoors. Uh, everyone wants tools to to be able to do their job more effectively. And and, you know, uh, assuming, of course, obviously that everyone has everyone's best interest in mind, what they are interested in doing is. Say you know, helping people and capturing terrorists and criminals and whatnot. So, uh, no, no blame or kind of anger thrown their way. But I, I guess the answer would be that you know, n- no one would argue that that if the police could go into uh, a, a domicile or a residence whenever they wanted without a warrant, certainly they would be able to catch more criminals um, and, and and possibly even prevent more crimes. But kind of we as a society have decided that that's too far and and we've kind of drawn a line around, you know, protections and and privacies. Um, And and it's kind of it's not up to the police. It's up to the rest of us as a public and to the courts 
and politicians when you can depend on them to, to kind of reinforce that line. Um, it, it's a reasonable request from their perspective, but it's it's I would say that um, given the scope of technology and people's digital footprint nowadays, it, it, it's a bit too far. You know, this phrase that's bandied about a lot of times in, in the U.S., you know, often in, in sad context, you know, that, that freedom isn't free. A lot of time it's, it's you know, you'll see it on Facebook or something overlaid with a picture of caskets coming back from, from the Middle East of, of American soldiers or service members. Um, and, and, and that's kind of generally the context that the, the quote is, is thrown around in, um, which is, again, a, a, a tragedy, of course, as well. Um, but but really where I think is most applicable is, is this context, is if we want a society, a free society, and a free society is one where, where you're sure of your persons and property, um, and, and there are protections around them and what you can say and not say, that, that, that that's the cost of, of freedom, that there are going to be crimes that you can't solve. There are going to be, you know, murders that happen. There are going to be things that slip through the cracks. And it's, it's, it's difficult to say that to people uh, who, who are, you know, tangentially involved, let alone victims. Um, but but that's that's my personal opinion that that's the cost of a free society that that's really the proper context for that quote. When it comes to these sorts of things, you know, legislation inevitably lags behind the technology. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that 100 percent. And it goes both ways. It doesn't necessarily favor privacy or or kind of you know um look unfavorably on favorably on technology it, it, it can certainly cut both ways and i mean that's has been an aspect of the conversation kind of for for as long as law enforcement and technology have collided i mean that that's the basis that assumption is the basis of, of the all writs act of the, of the late uh, 1700s in the u.s that that would allow courts to compel companies or bodies to act in a certain way where there where there are gaps in legislation uh, the All Writs Act was that again uses the basis of the New York Telephone Company versus the United States and the Supreme Court decision of 1977 that that is the framework for a lot of our surveillance and being able to look at pen registers uh, for phone records, which is again used as a lot of the basis for kind of email communications and digital surveillance today. So it is a really important issue. It's almost impossible to overstate its importance. This is a a, a very real inflection point potentially in terms of, of our relationship with the data that we own and create and who we are and, and, and our governments. That's Jacob Ginsberg from EchoWorks. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With identity orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. 
And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K Cyberwire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us.